the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Demonstrating the value of the notion of growing where you're planted and the importance of marketplace evangelism on this edition of Church of the Week. And joining me, a very special guest. He is founding and senior pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch, Pastor Kirkland Smith, senior pastor. And Pastor Smith, great to have you on this edition of Church of the Week. Good morning, Craig. Good to be here. So I understand you are a Bay Area native, and uh, therefore my comment about growing where you are planted. But it's interesting, looking at some of your bio, uh, you spent some time studying in in more of a secular arena. You studied and received your Bachelor of Arts degree in business administration and management. But God obviously had some different plans. Tell us about that. Well, um, uniquely... um Everyone has what I call a testimony. Everyone has a story. And um, and I think the wonderful thing about God and the relationship with Christ is every story is different, but it, it has great emphasis. Uh, mine's was not the traditional with many of the pastors that have uh, been born and bred in the church and maybe, you know, dads or grandfathers or whatever were pastors. They followed in those shoes, which are phenomenal. I think some of the stories that make it even more make make the uh the name of god even more powerful is his, his ability to be able to draw men in that maybe didn't have that uh traditional upbringing I, I grew up uh really in kind of a diverse background i went to catholic school uh, mom and uh grandmother were episcopal and they did attend and, and serve there um and um my family had uh, a pentecostal church if you will so kind of a little bit of visitation and all of those but no true um, footing or or really relationship with the Lord, more just church attendance. And it wasn't until college being invited uh, to church from some young ladies whose lives had really transformed did I come to know Christ. And um, all of those other early relationships or, or kind of visitations, maybe that's a good word, visitations with God, all came to fruition uh, at 24. Do you think all of that, shall we say, theological diversity in your background between Roman Catholicism, the Episcopal Church, Pentecostalism, in some ways you're kind of like me, you're sort of a theological mutt, meaning that it's a combination of many things. But do you think at the end of the day that helps you better understand people and the challenges sometimes in effectively communicating the gospel to some people who may have religion but not necessarily have experienced relationship? Well, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, uh, you know, our church is is a uh, a very uh, diverse ministry, but I, I think even more so is the ability to maybe relate and understand. Uh, that was something that I, I think Paul um, or Peter, better yet, uh, both of them uh, really came to understand. Is um, you know, Peter had that encounter uh, with uh, in Acts. I think it was Acts ten when they came to. Uh, the Gentiles came. He ended up having that meeting with Cornelius, and he realized the Spirit of God fell on them, and, and the Spirit of God was for them just as much as it was, it was for the Jews, and it was an enlightening. And I, and I think knowing how much God loved me even before and cared for me and was patient with me um, in the midst of all the things I've done, 
that were not pleasing to him. He didn't, uh, you, know, you know, he didn't write me off. He didn't, he didn't kick me to the curb, you know, so to speak. He was patient. And I think all of those upbringings and experiences that I saw, whether they be good or bad, are all in the pot of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. And it helps not just me, but it helps the leadership to be very um, understanding, I, I think, and also, I don't want to say empathetic, but um, our, our name is Grace for a reason. And it's to pour it out and to demonstrate it and show it uh, to those that may not be lined up exactly the way you are at this present time. And, you know, I think that's an encouraging thing because all too often there are those that are outside of the church looking in. Maybe they've had a church experience, but they're disenfranchised because that experience didn't start well or maybe it didn't end well. And oftentimes you hear, well, I don't want to go to church. I'm not good enough, things of this sort. And yet what you're suggesting, I think, is demonstrative of not only your own personal experience, but even a guy like Paul on the road to Damascus. Let's face it, he wasn't a nice guy. And if you and I sat down, we had a committee meeting and said, okay, we'd like to pick who's going to be the principal writer of almost the entirety of the New Testament. Paul probably would not be on our committee's list. (laughs) And yet, how delightful to see the way God pours out his spirit and his truth and his love through forgiveness, that even somebody like Paul, who spent some of the most notable years of his early career persecuting the church, turns out to be one of the key leaders of the church. And I think that notion of of just in his very life demonstrating reconciliation and relationship is really a model for all of us, suggesting that there are none that are therefore beyond the grace of God. But let me say this, Greg, and, and the truth of the matter is this. Without a Paul writing not so much, you know, two thirds of the scriptures, without him writing one story, I wouldn't be in Christ. It was the Paul's of the scripture. It was the messed up David's uh, of the scriptures um, that gave me hope that there was there was a place in Christ uh, for me. Never, ever considering that I would be functioning in the role that I'm in. It's humbling. It is, um, you know, oftentimes when you just reflect upon the goodness of God on your own personal life. We so often, you know, talk to people in a, in a corporate manner about, you know, corporate uh, issues or you, you speak to them as a whole. But sometimes, you know, when the spirit of God has you speaking to people as individuals and you have them focusing on their relationship, just theirs. Um, and when you share that sometimes as a pastor, a Bible teacher or whatever the, c- the case may be, you start, if you begin to, to personalize what God has done for you, who he's been to you, how much he's cared for you, how he advocated for you, how he didn't wipe his hands with you, how he kept you, how he never left you. It becomes overwhelming at times. So sometimes you you try to keep your focus on the whole, because when I sometimes talk, uh, the spirit will lead me to speak to a specific group, whatever that group may be. You mentioned the disenfranchised or the discouraged or those that are dealing with depression. And then you may think of sometimes when you were disenfranchised or sometimes you went through depression or sometimes that you were distressed or sometimes you were dysfunctional. It, it can cause for just incredible worship, but also an incredible mindfulness of how much you mean individually. I know there are eight billion people and I know there are billions and billions before us that are living. But how, you know, the Lord has truly cared for each of us. And that's what keeps me grounded, uh, hungry uh, to continue to serve him. Um, but it, it also keeps me uh, grateful. And um, and I think that's a word that's uh, poignant, poignantly used um, 
for us that that still are in love with the Lord. Um, and I'm not talking about like him. I'm not talking about we've been married for 20 years. I'm talking about flat out in love with him. You know, what's beautiful about that is this idea that that we don't have to get cleaned up to come to Christ. That notion of, as, as Scripture reminds us, that while we were yet sinners in the depth of our rebellion and, and acting the fool, that while we were right there, Christ died for us and made that way, offered that sacrifice to pay the price that we should have paid so that we could be reunited and reconciled unto the Father and walk in relationship with Him. And maybe that's the one key component that so often folks misunderstand. They look at Christianity as another world religion, a great religion, a religion that does wonderful things and so forth and so on, and yet fail perhaps to recognize that it is relationship that is really at the heart and soul of the gospel message. And this very notion that if there had been 8 billion people on the planet or just Pastor Kirkland Smith, he would have died nevertheless because our Creator wants to walk so much in personal relationship, in fellowship with you. And you start to kind of boil that down and think on that. that that's a mind blower, <laughs> isn't it? That's the exact word I was thinking. It, it literally blows my mind. Yep. And the, the other thing that I want to touch on that you kind of referred to is this, this notion of you know, God using someone like Paul to show the way that he kind of chose the least of these. Again, not somebody, if we were on that pulpit committee, that we would have necessarily selected or called, yet God knew. And maybe in that sense, God's got a plan for each and every one of us. We may not see or understand at this date and time and juncture in our life the kind of ministry that he's called us to, what he's asking us to do to... um to be about his business, and yet he does have a unique plan for every one of us. And I, and I bet if we knew ultimately what that final plan looked like, it'd probably scare <laughs> the living daylights out of it just as much as if that Damascus Road experience had been the the Holy Spirit sitting down with Paul and saying, okay, let me tell you what you're going to do and where you're going to do it. He, he probably would have said you're crazy and turned back. Well, not only would it, it have scared us, we wouldn't have done it. That's right. Um, the role I'm in today... You know, I never would have anticipated this role, nor even when I became a believer and was continuously serving and going to church, would I have wanted and or desired this position. So he he, he brings us along. You know, he brings us, you know, the, the scriptures brings us in that path of righteousness for his namesake. So he brings us along that path. And I believe as we, you know, take this journey on that path, we begin to gain footing and we gain a certain deal of of what I call consistency and reliability um, and encourageability in, in God. And you began to look for your daily bread from him. And um, and I, I went through all the gamuts. I started as a deacon and I um, I feel God was Well, I didn't feel I knew that God was calling me. I was just extremely hungry for it, not just. Um, spending time in the word and prayer and service, but now conveying that message, you know, being a conduit of the message of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing that, you know, with, um, you know, we call it a lost and dying world, but with people that were needing, that were hungering and thirsting for that righteousness. So I accepted that call to ministry. I was fine as a minister. And then, um, you know, this unique thing happened and, and the call, my call, you know, very similar to so many other men in scriptures calls was so vivid and real. Um, it, it just humbled me at the, the, you know, at the greatest degree that I surrendered to, um, 
becoming a, a pastor, you know, leading a flock. I was very comfortable as a minister, reverend, or whatever, you know, you want to call that position. Um, because, again, there there's still only a certain amount of responsibility. As a deacon, there's only a certain amount of responsibility. But when you become the pastor, you know, of a flock, it is not just a a lifetime commitment to holiness and righteousness, but now it's it's like when a parent has a child, when it was just you or your wife, you know, there you know, there's partnership in marriage, but you you know, as long as they're they're well, they're not sick, you know, they you both can function alone and there's only so much the other expects. But when you have a child and they can't care for themselves, and a lot of times the dilemma in the church is you had someone been, been there 15 years, but they're still spiritual children. That's why Paul said, I wish to you know feed you meat, but I can't because you're still on milk. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a challenge sometimes when you, you know, it doesn't matter. Every church has those that are on milk, you know, or those that are just born, that have just been born again. And your responsibility now is to care, to nurture, and feed them, because if you don't, they'll die. Pastor Smith, let me ask you to just pause for a moment there. We're going to pick up the conversation when we come back after the break. If you've just joined us, Pastor Kirkland Smith, our special guest on this edition of the program, we're going to get back to more of his story, more of our conversation. So don't you touch that dial. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Kirkland Smith with me today. I'm, of course, Craig Roberts and uh, been learning more about his ministry and what God is doing here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Pastor Smith, let's pick up where we left off just before the break. Yeah, and you could argue perhaps that an evangelist, for example, largely has a responsibility in proclaiming the word back to God. But a pastor who also has that responsibility of proclaiming the word, but also teaching and leading the flock. So suddenly there is this incredible exponential growth of accountability that it's not just God that you have to answer to, but in a sense, from the spiritual shepherding and leadership standpoint, you also become accountable to Every single person in those pews. If you've just joined us, Pastor Kirkland Smith, founding pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch, is with us today. More information, by the way, on the web at GBF of Antioch. Think Grace Bible Fellowship, GBF of Antioch.org. I'm struck, Pastor Smith, by something that also sort of sets you apart from many of your peers. Most pastors traditionally are called to a church. But looking at some of the history of Grace Bible Fellowship, it seems that initially you weren't called to the church, but rather you were called to the street. Now, let me qualify that by saying that you and your spouse, I understand, were were operating a beauty salon. And in a wonderful example of what I call marketplace ministry, God turned that place of physical beauty and use it as a tool for spiritual beauty. Tell us a bit how that 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 tiny little salon became kind of of ground zero for this marketplace evangelism that would eventually give growth to Grace Bible Fellowship now with well over a thousand members. That's an amazing story, I'll bet. Well, let me first give my wife a shout out, um, Sister Kobander Smith, the best of the best. Um, met her uh, through my brother and his fiance. Um, my brother's fiance was from New Orleans and my wife came to visit her best friend. She came to visit from New Orleans and uh, um, came, you know, my sister-in-law, she was, they were engaged at the time, but introduced us and we locked eyes and the rest is history. So <laughs> she ended up moving to California, um, really knew no one but her best friend. 
and we became a tandem. We became a, um, a team, and she um, ended up going to cosmetology school, graduated, opened up a little small salon. We were living in Fremont, and we um, were serving in Fremont. I was working a corporate uh, job and uh, loved it, loved what I did. And um, But we were faithful in church. We were serving in ministry. Um, and um, we ended up l- looking for a home. Uh, God closed the door on a home we thought we were going to buy in Fremont and Newark. Um, we were disgruntled and, and disappointed, and we went looking for ho- homes. And, and we were looking or thought we were going to look out in the Hercules area. We took a wrong turn and ended up in a place called Antioch. Had never heard of Antioch, knew nothing about Antioch. The first uh, development we went into, um, this was um, 1993. First development we went into, we um, uh, sat on the floor and the Lord told me, he said, this is your home. So we ended up... Um, you know, making Antioch home. She ended up, ended up finding a small place. We opened up this salon. It was just small. I'm still working corporate, still commuting. Um, and we, and she always was ministering to people there, always. Uh, I'd come to help clean up or whatever. She'd be praying with people. She'd be counseling people. They'd be in there crying. They'd be in there worshiping. And uh, and some of these people were not even believers. They weren't even church goers, but people loved the atmosphere there, they love the, I won't even say the presence of God, they, the word I used to hear ladies say is they love the peace. We fast forward, you know, a year or two down the road, I, um, I end up, you know, going into full-time ministry and we, um, my pastor, uh, Horatio Jones of Grace Bible, uh, I'm sorry, uh, used to be Fremont Bible Fellowship, now it's Family Bible Fellowship of Newark. Um, they decide we're going to plan a ministry in Antioch. And um, we, you know, we didn't have anywhere to, to have initial Bible studies. So the only place we had outside of our home was a salon. The salon was kind of in kind of downtown. It was in a hub. It was in a it wasn't in a nice area, but it, it was in an area that she had already developed relationships with clients. And we, we had about eight or nine little folding chairs, about five or six of them were different colors. So we laid the eight or nine chairs out and we began to have Bible study and the rest is history. Always different people, but the word came alive. They already loved the atmosphere. They loved the place. They loved her. And, you know, they began to really fall in love with the Lord. And, you know, obviously the brand that was, you know, that was the foundation that was the vine, but then the branch, uh, the branches began to grow and, you know, obviously we ended up moving up and on, but our humble beginnings from the beauty salon called Heavenly Hair, which is still <laughs> operational now, Heavenly Hair is still going. Um, we can never forget what happened in that little small beauty salon, you know, over 20 years ago. So you're, you're, you're not then wife, but she, she came out to visit a friend, stayed for a husband and a ministry. And, and I'm struck by something you mentioned, and, and maybe we can spend a moment elaborating upon this. And and some listeners are going to think, "Oh, Craig's going to go to meddling now." I know it. <laughs> I, feel it I feel it coming. But you you mentioned that the salon geographically quote wasn't in a nice area, and yet clearly it was in an area where there was need. Yes, is that problematic? Pastor Smith in the church today, and I ask this because we've seen multiple generations now, probably going back to even the 1960s, where there's been a lot of church flight out of urban areas, and the pretext usually goes something like, well, we don't have adequate parking, well, the neighborhood is run down, or, well, it's not in a 
nice area. And so they decide to pick up tent stakes. They find themselves a nice multiple-acre campus out in suburbia where there's tree-lined streets, zero crime. The chief of police attends Sunday services. It just all feels really nice, but maybe not terribly effective. And I wonder if it's because, in part, there have been some aspects of the church. This is not meant to be a blanket accusation. But there have been some churches that have left the needy areas for the nice areas and left the needy areas just to kind of sit there and stumble about and atrophy. And I'm wondering, and this kind of goes back to that heart of of discipleship and marketplace evangelism, if the church today needs to start focusing more on not worried about where the nice areas are, but instead going to the areas where the greatest need is. I mean, if we're told to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, I don't see anything in Scripture that qualifies that and says, you know, so long as it's a low-crime neighborhood that you're going into to pull them in, but rather, come one, come all. Wherever the pain is, Dr. Jesus is here for you. But I don't know that the the churches is doing as good a job at proclaiming that message as maybe we need to be, particularly for such a time as this with all that's going on in the world around us. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's no question what you're saying is accurate and it's true. Um, I read a book many years ago called The Assignment and The Assignment, uh, the premise behind the book is everyone has an assignment. Everybody. Um, our assignments are different but your assignments are always people. And it, it broke the book down into many sectors but you know some of the, the portions or sectors where your assignments are geographical, right? So my assignment is designated for a particular area. I've been called to Antioch. I've been called to the Contra Costa East region. It's not that I can't do ministry in the South Bay. It's not that I can't do ministry in the San Francisco uh, area in which I was born and bred and, and, and have loved ones there and would love to do ministry there, but I have not been assigned to that area. Assignments are, are you know, are temporal. They're not forever. Sometimes we fall in love with a, a place or, or, or people, um, a group of individuals, and they may not be assigned to you forever. So I think what happens is we get caught up in bigger and better and we lose track of our assignments, where we have been assigned, to whom we have been assigned. Because we had, you know, some years ago, we had opened up a second campus and we were thriving with these two churches. I was running between uh, the churches and multiple services, including Saturday night services. I think we had four services going between Saturday and Sunday. And I was just running from place to place. And then it, you know, it got to a point, it was, I was just preaching. I wasn't pastoring. I wasn't ministering. I wasn't able to touch, you know, I used to stand at the door and shake hands and hug people and, you know, and just pour into people's lives. And and then when you, you know, went to bigger and better, um, at least in, you know, the eyes, which you can sell the people on. And I'm not saying it wasn't of God, but it, that assignment was temporal, you know, and we did that for three or four years and had great success. But one day God told me that there were some internal issues with just the people and they needed a pastor, not associate pastors. They needed their pastor because, again, my assignment was to these particular people and my relationship with them was different than anyone else's. And the Lord, he just spoke and he said, if you don't, you know, get back to the one place and just take care of all the sheep, um, he said, I'll shut them both down. And we closed the the church seated 300, 400, whatever it was, and we were crowded every single week. And we, when I say we closed it, we were shutting it down, but we were encouraging that church 15 miles away. You guys can just come down the street. And, you know, what blew us away was 
I'd say 80% of those three to 350 people didn't come 15 minutes down the street. Um, and we just assumed that was going to happen. And that spoke to, so much towards the assignment. You know, their assignment was that geographical region. And I ended up, or we as a ministry ended up going into a region that obviously we could have sustained it, but we didn't have the entire leadership position solidified the way it needed to be for all of these babies, these new believers, these young people of faith coming in that needed more than just a message. They needed to be touched and loved and five-minute conversations here and two-minute conversations. So we learned a valuable lesson about uh, about assignments and also the geographics of the assignment. And now, as you know, you're now close to, you know, we're hovering on 20 years. You, you do better now because you know better. We'll pause for a moment in our conversation. Our special guest today is Pastor Kirkland Smith, and we'll come back to more of our visit right after this here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Kirkland Smith with me today. I'm, of course, Craig Roberts and uh, been learning more about his ministry and what God is doing here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Pastor Smith, let's pick up where we left off just before the break. Wow, I'm I'm thrilled to hear you with, with such candor and humility share that story because I think it's demonstrative. Kind of going back to full circle, what we were talking about in relationship with with Paul and and his Damascus Road experience. That at the end of the day, and and maybe a lot of this is the product of of just you know Western society that's all about a numbers game. How many widgets did you sell? How well is your stock doing on Wall Street? How many showed up to the game on Sunday? We we tend to measure success strictly by numbers. How many friends you got on Facebook? Exactly. Right? How many friends do you have? I know people that got 500 friends on yeah. Facebook. They pass away tomorrow. They're lucky if 10 show yeah. up at the funeral. You know? yeah. But it, it, it comes back full circle to the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're called to go into all of the world, into Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts, and preach the gospel. But I don't see God laying out any quotas there. What he does lay out very clearly is the importance of the way the sheep are shepherded, discipleship, the people grow, and the love and knowledge of the Lord, understanding scripture, being given the capacity to be able to go and replicate, meaning share their faith and win others for Christ, that so much of Scripture is reliant upon not quantity, but rather quality. Right. And it almost as if we, we, we use the pretext of, you know, well, we're going to help the Holy Spirit out here by, you know, trying to get bigger numbers in, instead of letting the Holy Spirit do its job and just focusing on what we have that's presented in front of us. And, you know, to whom, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're good in the small things, God will give you exactly even even more and and I think if the church better focused on that and recognize you know sometimes we just need to pour effort and energy into the folks that we have and then as they grow in the love and fear of the Lord and they become true disciples then all of that increase all of that growth that every pastor prays for and and certainly every church treasurer pays for praise for will all come to fruition because God will organically bring that blessing well let me, let me say this uh Craig we you know, Ephesians chapter four, you know, speaks and it says it's he, uh, the 11 first says it's he who gave and talking about God who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the people for the works of service. So the body will be built up. Right. There'll be no division, no schisms in the body. So he gave us these these gifts, these men um, as gifts to the body of Christ. Now, here's the unique thing. 
he gave us these pastors and prophets, evangelists, teachers to equip and build the people up in the faith. So there'll be no schisms, division, and we'll all attain uh, the maturity. You know, we'll, we'll attain the fullness is what it says. And we'll, we'll, we'll attain the maturity in the faith and we'll become one. But the problem is, is that though we are the vessels, um, and, and Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me. The truth is there's so many aspects of our lives that probably right now shouldn't be imitated because they're not as equipped or strong as they need to be. So Pastor A may be a phenomenal uh, expositor of the word. He may uh, have a phenomenal gift of administration, but he may be a poor encourager. He just isn't very strong in edifying and building up the people. So his messages are doctrinally sound, and you can't argue his love for God. Uh, you can't argue his ability to cast a vision and to fulfill it. You know, we they're buying and they're building and they're growing and they're this and this. You can't question his God's hand on him, but he's not as thoroughly equipped in every aspect of his life as he needs to be. And people depend on us. But what people kind of forget is that we are men, you know, or women. And the struggle that we have, there our struggles are real, too. And I think they don't they don't think that they're problems in the pastor. And then when pastors maybe sort of speak, let people down because, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily the greatest husband or the best father. You know, that was the story we read about Eli in First Samuel. You know, he was a good priest. He was a good man, but he was a horrible father. He had to hear about the demise and, and the debauchery from his, uh, of his children from everybody else. And then he comes to the kids and says, you know, uh, I, I heard that you guys are doing this stuff. Why are you guys doing this? Well, my question to him is, how did you not know your kids were doing this? So he wasn't the best of a father. And we have so many shortcomings. And it's almost like people condemn us for ours. But we're patient and we're full of grace for theirs. So I think if nothing else, I think the congregants and, and human beings, because pe people always love to say to us when we stand for what's right, you know, the mechanics trying to take advantage of us. And we're saying, hey, you know, man, you, you know, you're going to fix my car. You're going to do right. And then they hit you with, I thought you were a Christian. You know, they they you know, it's almost as if we can't have any frailties, any shortcomings. And I think for pastors. We all need to be encouraged and understanding we all are works in progress, even the greatest men of God, the largest congregations, the the most, you know, uh, exquisite expositors, the, you know, the preachers that can play, sing, you know, and prophesy. You know, we all still have some work to do. And I think if we can embrace that concept as a body um, that, you know, iron sharpens iron, we all need to be there. We're, you know, we're really focusing as the church on the body, the different parts, and how all of us have to work together um, and, and not expecting I've got it all, every piece together. I think that makes our church healthier, even though it may appear that there's some areas of, of lack. And certainly while we serve one Lord, there's one Savior, one salvation, one Holy Spirit. It's teamwork when it comes to the body of Christ. And I think in God's infinite wisdom, he designed it that way so that each member of that body comes together and supports one another, encourages one another. Even as you see the way scripture doles out how the gifts are distributed and to okay. some are given teaching and preaching and evangelism, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what you're speaking to is also the notion that we want to treat pastor like he's the professional Christian. 
So, of course, he should not only, you know, dole out advice and preach the sermon on Sunday morning and then go and evangelize. And then when he's done with that and and growing the church numerically, then go out and raise some money. And, you know, we put a tremendous amount of responsibility on the shoulder of pastor, much more than is reasonable from a scriptural standpoint. Then when the poor man begins to collapse under the weight of all that pressure, not least of which he's expected to have the perfect wife, the perfect family, it's all just supposed to be flawless. Then when we find out, oh, wait, he's human, too, she's human, too, things begin to fall apart. Then we turn around and say, well, God, what did you do? (laughs) Not recognizing we're the big part of the problem. And I think your message uh, to this point is, is critically important so that we really understand that true discipleship means everything, that we are all functioning together within the body to where it is God has equipped us and called us. And as we do so, not only will that body function more effectively, but ultimately the impact of the church right where we're planted will be more effective too. I, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I, I'm not the best pastor per se, you know, I'm not the perfect pastor because that perfect pastor has all of those criteria you said. And I'm not going to say that there are none. But so just for argument's sake, I'm going to say I'm not the perfect pastor, but I'm being perfected. And part of that perfection, um, if you will, is being candid and honest with people, being transparent. I think people respect my transparency. Um, I'm not going to walk around as if things are great. I mean, there are times I'm hurting. I'm physically sure. hurt. You know, I'm emotionally hurt. I'm mentally hurt by whatever may have transpired. And, you know, the hospital or the church is a hospital. It It's a place where people are supposed to come find healing and hope. And oftentimes people don't want to bring their their concerns about, you know, what's going on with our our nation and our health crisis, or people don't want to bring what's going on with them now because they're struggling with discouragement or depression or some mental health challenges that have been diagnosed. They're going to be looked down upon in the church. They're going to be looked down upon if they're struggling now with their sexuality or, you know, um, their daughter's pregnant or whatever the case may be. The church has been excellent, you know, over the the last few centuries in making people feel less than when they're not lined up. Well, what do we say that we, you know, we're the only army that shoots its wounded, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's my prayer, my desire that, um, you know, when we when we came here, we were one of few small ministries. There were a few larger ministries in this community. Now there are hundreds of churches here in 20 years. And if nothing else, we want to be a model. You know, we say all the time that we haven't come to compete with other ministries. We've come to complete them. Yeah. Um, that we work together as a body and, and help each other and, and do our best. You know, I, I really feel as if, you know, God has called me really to be, you know, the, the pastor to this city and not so much in a bishop's role, but just in a loving, supporting role, not condemning any pastor, not, you know, throwing, you know, the baby away with the bathwater, so, so to speak. And, you know, pastors here, as well as other regions and communities, they fall, they fall into all kinds of things. But I think there's always there's a resting place in, in him. And I think there's a resting place in us that grace is a place where you can find respite and you can find rest for your soul. And, you know, and 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 my my calling as a pastor, because I was a I was old deacon. I loved not just my pastor, but I, I learned to love and respect pastors. And and I want to be that I want to be the, the, the guy or the, the ministry or the place where they can come. And we've had over the years so many senior pastors that fell into whatever we want to call it, you know, disrespute if they fell into sexual sin, if they were you know removed from their churches, if there were 
problems with their marriage. We've just had so many over the years that have come and found a resting place at Grace. And whether it was for six months or for five years, they came wounded, but they left healthy. And um, that's those stray cats that, you know, on something happened and they were on the street. And then someone who loves cats brings it in the home. And in the beginning, you can't touch it. And you just have to leave the food somewhere and they'll get to it. And, and they, they aren't comfortable around you. But in time, they find that you are, you, you know, you have fed them and they find you have protected them and they find uh, found that you have given them shelter. And now that same stray cat or that same wild cat or that same cat that wouldn't let you touch them now is sitting on your lap and allowing you to comfort it. And now it becomes a part of your family and, and uh, it's not trying to get out the door anymore. Um, and it becomes now a conduit of help for the next stray cat that, you know, that, that lady or that man brings in. And that's kind of who our ministry is because all of us have strayed at some point exactly. in time in our lives. And that, that, whether that, it be internally or externally. That's you right. Know, Hey, you could be in church straight. And, um, you know, obviously we assume when people are there, they're all good. But, you know, some of some people's worst days have been they cried without tears and they struggle without anyone hearing them. So, you know, if we can be that haven of help and that conduit of of an ear that will just listen and not condemn. I've learned that from my wife. You know, sometimes she doesn't want me to fix her problem. She just wants me to listen. Um, and that's a, a gift you know, or a skill that God has given you is uh, the ability to just hear and then that gift of wisdom to the minister. And sometimes, you know, like Job's friends in the beginning, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, uh, Zophar is just in the beginning they did right because what did they do? They comforted him and they listened. They messed up when they opened up their mouths. So I'm learning more and more. Sometimes the best ministry I can do is just the ministry of listening. Pastor Smith, let me ask you to just pause for a moment there. We're going to pick up the conversation when we come back after the break. If you've just joined us, Pastor Kirkland Smith, our special guest on this edition of the program, we're going to get back to more of his story, more of our conversation. So don't you touch that dial. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Kirkland Smith with me today. I'm, of course, Craig Roberts, and uh, been learning more about his ministry and what God is doing here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Pastor Smith, let's pick up where we left off just before the break. Well, you know, at the end of the day, the, the church should not be regarded as a place of perfection, but rather a process where we can become perfected. And if some folks, as we were talking earlier about challenges that oftentimes pastors face, and if somebody eavesdropping on this right now saying, well, you guys have nailed it, that's the problem. My pastor has not obtained holy perfection yet. My only answer to that is, and thank God, because if he had, he'd be dead. Yeah, and he wouldn't be with you guys. That's right. Hey, before our time is up today, Pastor Smith, take a moment, if you would, and tell us about the ministry of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. You've got an amazing story and an amazing and vibrant ministry. So just kind of walk us through service times. And if folks are new to the San Francisco Bay Area and looking for a church home, what will they find at Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch? A loving Bible teaching church, um, radical in our worship. We love to praise and lift up the name of the Lord. Um, a diverse people, people from all different backgrounds. I mean, you'll have them well dressed all the way in the sweatsuits, and and, uh, and you can be you. Um, Sunday mornings, uh, we meet for worship at eight and eleven. Uh, they're what we call spread classes because grown folk don't want to go to Sunday school anymore. So we have spread classes, and spread is nothing more than than small group Bible studies. But we also have those during the week as well. They're not relegated to Sunday, but spread classes at ten. 
Midweek service is on Wednesday at 7.15. We have recovery class at the church Thursday at um, at uh, 7 p.m. Um, and then we have a host of uh, prayer opportunities, 5.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 6 a.m. at the church. Um, and then Saturday mornings, um, uh, the first and fourth Saturdays at um, 8 a.m. So there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of uh, biblical teaching. We do. A, uh, we have a lot of community-based programs. We have a nonprofit, a new nonprofit called Grace Arms, uh, GraceArms.org, and you can get a lot of information about the programs that we run out of Grace Arms: uh, after-school program, tutoring programs, mentor programs, uh, sport programs, uh, recovery programs. We have a Grace House. Um, We're looking to build tiny homes. We're opening up a daycare center as we speak. We're building that. Um, And on and on and on. Um, The church is very concerned about the health and wellness of our community. And we want Christ to be made known here. Uh, Antioch was the first place where they were called Christians. And, you know, we don't take it lightly that God has sent us all here. Um, You know, the people that live in this region, Contra Costa County East, is just a a thriving uh, community of people. Pittsburgh, Antioch, Brentwood, Oakley, Discovery Bay. Uh, all, you know, five, 10 minutes away from each other, a quarter of a million plus people, you know, um, trending upwards, a lot of people from the greater Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, uh, so on and so forth, have moved out here and bought homes. Uh, So obviously, there are some new challenges in our community, as you know, people from the city have moved out here. Um, But that's why you need a a balanced, uh, a healthy, well-balanced ministry that's able to cater uh, to the needs of the people. But if you want to get more information on Grace, uh, it is uh, grace, uh, www.gbfofantioch.org. And uh, all of our services are streamed live and um, and all are archived. So you can get a taste of who we are, a flavor for the church. And we tell people all the time, if you uh, like the message, you'll love the church. If you don't like the message, you won't like the church. So I think you can find a lot of the love of who GBF is uh, based on what you hear. And we are going to be biblically sound and we're going to preach the whole gospel. And, you know, if I'm going to preach the whole gospel, I got to live the whole gospel. So that is the commitment we've made to the Lord uh, for 30 plus years. And God just keeps, you know, he keeps blessing us and he, and he continues to be very, very good to us. Um, so when, you know, David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm still tasting and I'm sure enough encouraging other people to taste for yourself so you can see that the Lord is good as well. If folks wonder what can God do with a small little um, out of the way in a not too great neighborhood beauty salon, well, you've just heard the answer. Uh, we appreciate so much the time today with Pastor Kirkland A. Smith, founder and senior pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. They are at 3415 Oakley Road in Antioch. And as Pastor mentioned, for more information, service times, and to understand more about the breadth and depth of what God is doing in this ministry in that portion of the East Bay, you can follow them online at GBF, think Grace Bible Fellowship, gbfofantioch.org. That's gbfofantioch.org. Pastor Kirkland Smith, we appreciate most the time and uh, an opportunity to uh, get to know you more and to have you share some of your story with our listeners. Thank you, Brother Craig. God bless you as well. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.